take a look uh, at, this, at this image, the next one that's coming up. Take a look at that image. What's wrong with it? You're probably like, yeah, there's probably see a lot of things that's wrong. <laughs> this, this is an actual page of my, my sermon. There's no margin. There's no margin. And it's miserable, right? Can you imagine trying to read a whole book printed like that? There's a reason that books do not have words running all the way to the edge of the page on every single page. There's a reason when you type in a Word document, when you get to about one inch from the edge of the page, it jumps down to the next line and you continue your typing. There's a reason why on notebook paper there's a thin red line on either side on the left and right side of that piece of notebook paper. Margin matters for reading and writing. It's even more important for our lives. And yet, our, our culture tells us that living with little or no margin is normal. Right? It pushes us to to the limit, do more, buy more, achieve more, conquer more, work more, produce more. Most of us are living at a pace and a lifestyle that is often more stressful than bountiful, more unsustainable than graceful. The conditions of modern day living devour margin and make it look normal in the process. What is margin? Dr. Swinson, in a book called Margin, defines it as the space between our load and our limits. The space between our load and our limits. Pastor Andy Stanley has a, a definition that I like as well, and he defines it as the amount of something available beyond what is necessary. Margin is the amount of something available beyond what is necessary. So, silly simple example, like if I plan for a 60-minute Zoom call and the Zoom call lasts 45 minutes, then I have 15 minutes of margin. Margin is breath at the top of the stairs, money at the end of the month, and sanity at the end of the terrible twos. Uh, margin is... Prayer in the morning before work. Margin is time to rest, do nothing, and not feel insecure about it. Margin is the space to love our neighbor. Margin is room in our hearts for people different than us. Margin is space in our brains for dreaming and creativity. Margin is being able to be generous with money. Margin is the emotional capacity to listen. Margin is hospitality come natural. Margin is what most of us do not have. And yet we know that where our margin decreases, our stress 
increases. It's why you feel what you feel when you don't have financial margin at the end of the month. It's why you feel what you feel when you're, when you're running late for something important. Think about what it looks like when you have no emotional margin and you snap at your spouse or your kids or your coworker. Or no relational margin where, where you can be technically with someone, even God, without really being present with them. Think, think about when you say to someone, hey, you know, like, I, really, I really miss seeing you in, in church or, or small group. And then it's like that, it's like that awkward, like, uh, mm, uh, I, just, I just got busy. You know, I'm so busy. Like, life is, is crazy right now. You know, I know I used to come, come more, but things are just really busy right now. They'll get, they won't be as busy later. They're just really busy right now. I'm just, I'm just really busy. Or, hey, pastor, we miss... We miss hanging out with you just as, just as friends. Uh, well, you know, like I'm, I've been really busy with some church stuff. Like I don't have a lot of time for that right now. I've just been kind of busy with church stuff, you know? Do, wait, do, do we hear? Do we hear ourselves? Too busy for God? Too busy for people God calls us to love right there up at the same level as loving God? We have a problem if we think that is normal. We have no margin for the most important things in life. We give our lives away to the things that ultimately do not matter and do not last. We have time for what we choose to have time for. But, but what if margin is the space where discipleship happens? What we create margin for is often the sacred time and space where God shows up, where the kingdom breaks through, where we grow as followers of Jesus, where someone else experiences the love and presence of Christ through us, or we experience it through them, where we find rest for our souls, love for our hearts, where we experience fullness of joy and life. Margin restores what culture has taken away. Time to listen, capacity to dream, strength to care for others and ourselves, space to love God and our neighbors with more and more of our hearts. Friends, the truth is COVID forced some margins upon our lives that we otherwise would not have had. And now we're, we're coming back. Our, our lives are returning to something. I, I, don't, I hesitate to use the word normal because the way most of us lived prior to COVID wasn't any semblance of normal to God. And we're trying to find our new baseline, Right? We're trying to find our new baseline. But before we start writing all the way across the page in our lives, we need God to show us what it looks like to have holy margin. So over the next two months, we're going to be looking at the gift and the opportunity that margin in our lives presents. We're going to be looking at stories and passages in Scripture that reveal to us why margin is important, what we need margin for, how it can be life-giving and kingdom-bringing. And today we start first with margin for prayer. Margin for prayer. 
Let us pray together. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning, um, two passages, first from the Gospel of Mark and then from, from Psalm 40. I invite you to listen for God's word. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus, James, and John went home with Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed, sick with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who were sick or demon-possessed. The whole town gathered near the door. He healed many who were sick uh, with all kinds of diseases, and he threw out many demons, but he didn't let the demons speak because they recognized him. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those with him tracked him down. When they found him, they told him, everyone's looking for you. He replied, let's head in the other direction to the nearby villages so that I can preach there too. That's why I've come. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and throwing out demons. And now from Psalm 40. I put all my hope in the Lord. He leaned down to me. He listened to my cry for help. He lifted me out of the pit of death, out of the mud and filth, and set my feet on solid rock. He steadied my legs. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus prayed often. Jesus prayed often. Why does it seem like we don't put that truth of his life and ministry on the same level as eating with sinners, casting out demons, healing the sick, multiplying loaves, walking on water? It's like we recognize how important all that other stuff was and forget how essential his praying was. Mark 1 sandwiches this scene of Jesus rising early in the morning, going to a deserted place to pray to his Father in, in heaven. He sandwiches that right in the middle of a lot of action. Jesus calls his disciples and they drop everything right there and they, then and there and they follow him. And we're like, wow, whoa. And then he throws out a demon, and we're like, whoa. And then he cures Simon's mother-in-law of her fever. Whoa. And then the whole town gathers at his doorstep, and he heals many who are sick or possessed with demons. And we're like, Jesus, whoa, wow. And then he wakes up early the next morning, and he goes off by himself, and he prays to his Father in heaven. And we're like, oh. Oh, okay. See what I mean? And then right after that, Jesus is back in action at it again. Maybe it's because we don't have a margin for prayer in our own lives. Maybe it's hard for us to put Jesus praying to his Father in heaven on the same level as healing people because it's hard for us uh, to put our own praying at the same level as as working out or or starting our to-do list or checking Facebook or email or beginning to write that sermon. But all of the Gospels are very intentional about including these very specific instances when Jesus goes off by himself to pray. 
just as they're intentional about mentioning all the wonderful, other miraculous, amazing things that Jesus does. Jesus had a margin for prayer. Jesus had a margin for prayer. He carved out holy space and time to speak and listen and to be with his Father in heaven. In John's gospel, Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing first. I only do what I see the Father do first. So it's not a stretch to say that it's precisely because of that holy margin for prayer that Jesus knew who and where he was called to serve. Praying to his Father in heaven was the base of his operation. It was essential. It was Jesus, through the Spirit, speaking and listening to the Father in in order to be able to do God's work. If heaven is like God's control room, then Jesus Jesus praying is Jesus receiving instructions from there for how to bring God's kingdom to earth as it was in heaven. This is Jesus constantly abiding in the love uh, between Father and and Spirit and and, and Son and being reminded of his identity and how to live out of that identity as God's beloved. For as many times as he was misunderstood, kicked out of a town, not believed, mocked, betrayed, for the hard, salvific work and task before him, do we not believe that prayer was an absolutely critical was absolutely critical to keep him hanging on and going and doing what God had called him to do. You know, we say, what would Jesus do? Right? What what would Jesus do? Well, how often do we say, you know, Jesus would pray. I should too. If we're followers of Jesus, we're called to imitate Christ. That means we must imitate his margin for prayer. We too need a a base of operation, an identity that that is truer and more lasting than our emotions, our to-do lists, our kids' crazy schedule, our jobs. Prayer is not a distraction from the main things of our day. It is the main thing. The other week I was grazing at home. I don't, I don't know if you've, you've ever, I'm sure none of you have ever, ever, ever done that, uh, you know, where you're not supposed to be working or checking Facebook or email, but, but there you are, and you graze for a minute over here with your phone or your computer, and then you graze back over there with your family or, or your spouse and back and forth grazing. And I was grazing over here, and I was writing an email, and I felt a tug on my shirt, and one of my boys said, hey, Daddy, I need to show you something. Look at this. Again, hey, Daddy, I need to show you something. Look at this. And still looking at my computer screen, I said, hang on just a, hang on just a minute, buddy. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something really important. <laughs> really? Really? More important than being with my son. <laughs> I, I'm convinced that, that that story is like a parable for our prayer lives and the need we have for a margin to pray. God is there expectantly waiting, hoping, tugging at our hearts, saying, hey, look, look, look at this. Look over here. I have something to show you. Talk to me. Listen to me. And we say, hang, hang on just a second, God. Hang on a second. Um, I'm doing something really important right now. Just, just hold on a second. Really? Really? More important than communing with the maker of heaven and earth. 
in Psalm 40, which we heard earlier, uh, David describes prayer in this way. And this translation is a little bit different than the one we heard earlier. Uh, it says, I waited patiently upon the Lord. You hear that? If you wait patiently for God, it suggests you have margin for prayer. I waited patiently upon the Lord. He turned his ear to me and heard my cry. He pulled me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And this idea from Psalm 40 of of prayer as, as God placing us on a rock out of the swamp, out of the murky waters, echoes the creation story when God creates dry land above the chaos and uh, uh, above the chaotic waters. So, so prayer is like God creating dry land in the midst of chaotic waters of our lives. When we have a margin for prayer, we stand on the rock and our feet are secure. There may be waves crashing against the rock. There may be chaos all around. There may be a thousand things that we think are more important. But with prayer, we have both an unshakable foundation and a holy vantage point. A holy vantage point. With prayer, we, like Jesus, can see what the Father is doing first and join ourselves to that rather than go at it alone on our own agenda. We don't have, when we don't have a margin for prayer, it's not too long before life begins to feel like we're stuck in the muck and in the mire, quickly stressed, overwhelmed, sinking with a narrower vantage point from which to see the world around us, the life within us, and what really matters. All of a sudden, our priorities are all out of whack because we've stepped off the rock and we don't have God to remind us what really matters most. We don't have God ordering our lives and, and so things get chaotic with no margin. When I think about Jesus and his margin for prayer and our own need to create a margin to pray, I, I think about that quote that not surprisingly uh, usually ends up stitched on some type of fabric. A day hemmed in prayer seldom unravels. Anybody heard that before? A day hemmed in prayer seldom unravels. Now, I'm not a sower by any stretch of the imagination, but I know enough about sowing to know what would happen if my jeans or, or pants like these were not hemmed in. If there were not a secure, stitched border around the edge, then as they were worn, that fabric would tear and fray and un. Ravel, come undone. How much more so with our lives? Creating a margin for prayer means hemming in our day with prayer. Waking up and praying before we get assaulted with the demands of the day and things that lie ahead or the regrets of the day before. I love how C.S. Lewis describes this. Listen to this. He says, It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And your first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on all day. And so on all day. 
hemmed in prayer. Going to bed, praying, reflecting on your day with God by your side, asking for forgiveness where we fell short, asking for strength and guidance and peace for tomorrow and what lies ahead. Margin for prayer. A prayer hemmed life. But, uh, but a margin for prayer, hemming in our lives with prayer, also looks like asking for guidance, praying and asking for guidance before that decision we have to make, and then thanking God or asking for grace on the other side when it's done. Uh, praying and asking for strength to overcome a temptation or bad habit and either rejoicing or praying and asking forgiveness on the other side. For me, for me, creating margin for prayer looks like, begins with placing prayer on the same level as writing this sermon, as getting a cup of coffee with a new worship attender, as planning new things for our church, as serving in the community. Same level. Not a period of distraction or a debit in my productivity column, but a period of credit, a period of clarity rather, a credit. A moment of nourishment. What about you? What would it look like? What would it have to be true for you to have a margin for prayer? There's a reason we started this series with prayer and having the margin to speak and listen and be with God. Because at its core, our margin problem is a trust problem, an idolatry problem. We're trusting in other things more than God, pure and simple. Our faith, our trust capacity, increases when our margin for prayer increases. And when our faith capacity increases, we come to love and trust God more and more. And check this out. Therefore, with God's help, we can create more margin for the kinds of things that God says are most important. Things that we are reminded of when we pray. So having a margin for prayer is the catalyst for creating all other margin that we need to live full, whole, Jesus-centered lives. And so, may we see prayer not just as a lifeline for after things go wrong, but as a baseline from which to live the life God intends. A life with holy margin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may notice we're doing a lot with uh, sticky notes in this sermon series. Special shout out to uh, Diana Patton and Chelsea Boudreaux for this incredible visual up here. Uh, I'm just, I'm blown away every time I, I, I look at it. Um, so thanks to them. You also see um, about on every other chair a little, a little pad of, of sticky notes. Uh, and, and this is going to be uh, serve as a reminder for us. You're going to take this home with you. And every Sunday of this series, whatever we're talking about in terms of margin, you're going to write it down on this sticky note and stick it somewhere very, very obvious and prominent in, in your home. And you're going to, and you're going to, each Sunday, there's going to be a new, like, so this Sunday you would write prayer on here. We're just talking about a margin for prayer. Uh, and so on, each week you'll write down the word, that, the margin that we're talking about. And by the end, you'll have enough to have them in the shape of a cross somewhere in your home.
to remind yourself to create holding margins, and these are the kinds of things that we need margin for. Does that make sense? So take this home with you, uh, and, we'll, and we'll eventually, in your home, you can make the shape of a cross out of it for this, uh, for this sermon series.